You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. You know, there's certain, there's certain breezes that um, are more refreshing than others. Um, I can think about in the spring, right, when, when winter has broken and we're starting to get a little bit warmth of spring and you can kind of, you can kind of get that breeze and it, it just feels differently. And I'll, I'll even say as we break into fall or as we have broken into fall um, and you get just a, another taste of, of some warm weather and you get that breeze, it's, it's very, very refreshing. Um, and that's just, that's just a breeze God, uh, God created. It, it's not even, not in his breath, if you will, that we get to experience and in moments like this, and there's there's times you just need you just need you need that breath, right? It's 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 the importance of the pause there. It's the it's the importance of of um, lending some of your faith with someone we talk about around here. There are times we need to lend faith, we borrow faith. I'll talk about today. We're gonna how how we link faith even, and this is kind of what our calling is as brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, and if you're a guest with us today. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what your experience is in terms of church or people or the like, um, but, but this is what you're, this is what ultimately we're looking for. You, you, a church isn't just a, a gathering of individuals that meet at a certain time for a certain thing. Um, it, it most certainly can start that way and does start that way for a lot of people. But what it begins to develop into, it starts, starts developing into relationships, not just with, with, with God at a very personal level. They start, it starts um, taking on this corporate nature to it where we begin leaning into one another. And that's kind of what you experienced there. It was um, some of the people that prayed for people didn't know one another. Um, but there was this moment where they just leaned in and, um, and just offered what they believed God was having them to kind of, kind of hook up with. I, I contend that the best compliment that anybody could ever receive is for someone to tell you, thanks for being there. Thanks for being there. Um, there's a variety of context in which, is that, which that would be offered, but it kind of all means the same thing. I needed someone, you stepped in, um, and things changed. You made a, you made a difference um, you move the needle is one of my favorite expressions. Um, you changed an outcome, or maybe you just changed what was going on in that moment. But bottom line, it's saying that you mattered. You mattered. It mattered. Thank you for being there. In 1977, New York Times article, Woody Allen um, said something that's been quoted in a lot of different contexts since, since then, but he was kind of pegged with the first. He said, 80% of success in life is just showing up. That was his line. 80% of success in life is just showing up. And I'd say 80% of mattering, being significant, uh, adding something to someone uh, is just showing up, right? The, the, the thanks, the thanks for being there. Now, why is that so hard then? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. Has anyone ever said to you, um, it's no use, or you said to yourself, it's no use, it's no use. That, that comes into play like when you're, you're trying to solve a problem. Um, a silly example would be someone gave me this, this puzzle, this three-dimensional wood pieces together, and, and they gave it to me, and I took it apart, and I've determined last week it's no use. Um, so what I've done is I've put together all kinds of different things that fit together, and I keep taking pictures and sending it to them, uh, having them laugh at my attempts. It's, it's no use. But the one that stings is, have you ever been told you're no use? You're no use. I should have just did it myself. You're no use. It doesn't take a lot of those you're no use or something similar. To, it does more than just sting. It kind of sits in, sits in deep. It can fester. And it can just really change how you approach life and approach other things. Um, if, um, and if you, don't, if you don't take care of that, if you don't, 
uh, address that wound, then it will take you out of a lot of situations in which not just um, that you want to be in, it was going to take you out of situations in which God has placed you in. And I want you to pay attention to me. You are full of use. And you're full of spiritual ministry use. You're full. And so you have to take the truth of those statements to apply it to the, to the lies that you have bought into. So why is showing up so difficult, right? Because we feel like that um, um, we're inadequate. We can feel like that we don't bring anything to the table. We're, we're afraid of, of, of showing up. But the reason why the enemy, uh, it's so important to show up, kind of helps you see how hard the enemy fights that, okay? How hard the enemy fights showing up should give you um, witness to how important it is for us to show up. Um, I, have one, I have one bottom line today, one key point. And if you're a part of Gateway, I know that's, that's a strange comment to hear me say. Uh, I said, there's one thing I want to teach you today. Just one. Now, I'm going to say it a lot. But just one. All right? Here it is. Availability is capability in the hands of God. Your yes is a gateway to real purpose. Availability is capability in the hands of God. Your yes is a gateway to real purpose. If I asked you to define the word availability, and I just, it would all kind of collect around two or three different variations of kind of the same thing, that I'm free, okay? Being, being free, I'm making time for. I'm, a, I'm available. What, what, do you, what, what do you want? Um, common synonyms for availability are accessibility and convenience, okay? Those are the natural ones. Those are the ones that would come most to your mind. Two not so commonly used synonyms are readiness and capableness. Okay, that, th those are game changers. Because readiness adds a prepared state to your availability and capable adds an equipped state. So it's more than I'm free. I don't have anything to do. Um, I didn't fill my time slot for this, so you know, what do you got? It is actually bringing a, a, a talent or a benefit. So when you break up avail and ability, avail means to help or to benefit. An ability means a talent, a skill, or proficiency. So it's so much more rich than just I've got free time. Um, a better understanding is, a, is the offering of our talent or skill for the benefit of others. And throughout history, God has used those um, in the world who um, made themselves available, right? Um, throughout biblical history, we actually see an aversion to people who are talented, and a move to people who are available. Now, it's not that talent's a bad thing. It just has a tendency that when we have a talent for something, we have a tendency to depend on ourselves for, the, for, for, for that talent, which means then we can only take someone as far as we're able, the capacity that we have. But then when you had available people, God made these people capable in the moment, because then they represented him and they could take someone a lot further than just their talents. That makes sense? So a lot of times we will move ourselves out of the availability slot because we don't think we're capable. We don't think we're talented enough to address that. And in fact, that's irrelevant. The relevant piece is being available, offering what we have, that you do have something, you are of use. And placing that before God that availability and that capability in the hands of God is powerful and your yes is a gateway to real purpose. Um, I, get this, I get this a lot when someone will call or ask to see me. They'll say, I know you're busy, pastor, but. And I appreciate the fact anytime someone doesn't believe that they're the only person in the world, right? Don't we all appreciate that about someone? But, I, but, I've, but I've always kind of kicked back on, I know you're busy, one, because we're all busy. And two, because of my role. My role is shepherd. This is my, this is my primary role. I got to wear a lot of different hats, yes. But shepherd is the one that I have bought into. Okay? And so shepherd then is available. And this is, this is a unique term through scripture because God sets the stage 
Now, I, I'm, I'm not measuring myself next to God or Christ as I'm about to read shepherd, but I want to just show you how important that, that role is in our lives and in the lives of other people. We, we, get, we get introduced to this in uh, Psalm 23. David begins with saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. For you're with me. You showed up. Thanks for being there. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The people around me who are, are stacked against me is not a deterrent for your presence. That's a big deal. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not a prayer. He's not praying asking for a shepherd. This is a prayer of acknowledgement of who the father is in his life, right? It's a reminder to, excuse me, to us when we read Psalm 23, but it's not a petition of father, be my shepherd. It's I have a shepherd. And when I have his, my she, him as a shepherd, even what I lack isn't lack because he makes up everything. Listen to the she, a shepherd promise from Jesus in John chapter 10. He said, therefore, Jesus said again, verily, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture the thief comes only to still kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I laid down my life for the sheep. I love the message version of verse 10 when he says, it says this way. I came so they ha can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So he's saying, this is the role of the shepherd. This is the role of Christ. This is how he's calling himself the good shepherd because he's come not just to protect us, but to give us a life more and better than we ever dreamed of. And I would contend that is a life now and that's a life to come. More and better than I ever dreamed of now and more than I could ever imagine in eternity. Now, I know we don't always live in situations where we go, oh, I am not living a dream life right now right? But I wonder if it's because we put up a different list of boxes that we check that would measure our dream. And if we're not checking those boxes, then, then we're not living kind of the life we want to live. And I would contend that God and us have different boxes. And it's not that there's anything wrong with our boxes. May not be enough, not anything wrong with our boxes at all. But the life he starts integrating into us is one of purpose. And when we step into the purpose God has for us, you start realizing that some of the things that you built as boxes that you wanted, they aren't near as important as what you're doing. And they're not near as fulfilling as what you're experiencing because he has different boxes than we have. Um, now we kind of look through another passage in Matthew 9 where we see what kind of eyes a shepherd has. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And in the context of this, what I think Jesus is saying is, one, he's not blaming the people for their condition. Okay? He's not saying those stupid people, those sinful people, 
Those people who've turned their back on me. He's, he's not taking target practice at the culture. What he's saying is, this culture, what we're experiencing, uh, disciples, what you're seeing is a group of people that don't have a shepherd. They don't have a shepherd. They don't have anybody protecting them. They don't have anybody leading them in quiet waters. They don't have anybody showing up for them. And as a result, look at them. They're harassed. They're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in essence, I think it's, it's, I think it's biblically uh, accurate to say that when he's talking about send forth more harvest workers, I, I would contend based on my, you know, just kind of my blinders on, on ministry from a shepherd position is he's asking for more shepherds. That's what a shepherd sees. A shepherd sees the condition of sheep without a shepherd. And, he, and he, in essence, he almost mourns for the condition, looking for more people to step in into that context. Uh, John 10 and Matthew 9 have been cornerstone passages of, of my life and ministry from the age of, gosh, I, I guess I first kind of really grabbed a hold of, um, of John 10 um, when I was in seminary. And it it became this kind of this really personal push to be a good shepherd. I'm not a great shepherd. I'm not an, I might just be an average shepherd. I, I, I'm just telling you what, what my drive was, that when, when I read that passage and I begin trying to flesh out, well, how will you operate as a minister? That's what grabbed my attention, that if Jesus identified himself as a good shepherd and then, and then when you get to, to Matthew 9, I think that's, that's been my professional push that there needs to be more shepherds. There needs to be, in my vernacular, there needs to be more spiritually influential people engaged with people who are harassed and helpless. Okay? So, availability is capability in the hands of God. Your yes is a gateway to real purpose, and I would say that when you are living in that purpose of Christ, the life that you dreamed of, that dream might look differently, but the experience you're living is what you were always after. Well, again, we attach something else to that until you start experiencing it. You, you will resonate with the experience and you'll take it away from the attachment. So Matthew 9 and 10 are what shaped my vision for Gateway Church. How do we develop more shepherds, in other words. How, how do we develop people of spiritual influence? Um, that's what I want for you. Um, and I believe that's the life that you're gonna want um, when you start experiencing it. Our six word mission statement, fresh starts, great friends, real purpose, all came out of the context of how, 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 do, we, how do we help develop more people that are experiencing the life that God intended for them? Is, is, there, is there pieces to this that you can somehow put together so that people will experience the life God really has for them? And what, what it boiled down to me were these six words. One, are you experiencing a fresh relationship with Christ? Is it, or is it something outdated, old experience? Something that you had at one particular time, you might be able to look back to that time and go, I remember when I felt alive in God then, but not so much now. I haven't met anybody that hasn't ever wanted a mulligan, that hasn't ever wanted a do-over, right? So it resonates, this idea of a fresh start resonates with anyone even trying remotely searching if God's real or not. So there's someone that can give me an, a fresh start? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that, Right? And our culture, this harassed, helpless culture, smells stale and religious a mile away. It becomes just another ideology. I will tell you, our world doesn't need another ideology. Christianity is not a competing ideology. Okay? It's, it, the relationship with Christ changes that dynamic. And when we're in a fresh relationship with Christ, when new and exciting things are happening in our revelation of God, our experience with God, then it just it changes who you are. Great friends is a piece where I've never met anybody that's ever said, my, my friend circle is complete and all those relationships are perfect. <laughs> Ever. Ever. I think a lot of us go through life just hoping for one. 
if we can just get one. And because we don't know how to forgive and we don't know how to pick, not pick up offense, we go from one to another, to another. Am I telling the truth? To another, to another, because we don't know how to do that. We know what we need. We know what we want. We don't know how to give without strings or without wanting. So that great friend piece is, is the body of Christ comes together even though we don't know one another. And we begin developing relationships with one another under the basis of Christ. This is our shared, this is our shared experience. The cross is our shared experience. The cross then becomes the pathway for us to start building community and relationship. And it's not easy. No one ever said it was easy. But it's possible. And it's what we're really, really looking for. And then the real purpose piece, if I have a fresh relationship with Christ and I'm being shaped in community, like I'm not as smart as I am without you. I'm not kind enough without you. Right? You can just go down the list of things of how different we are in the context of a community. And then if I can lift everyone's eyes up and understand that you really have a purpose. Each of us have a similar purpose. Now that's the life, that's the life we're talking about. I got a life that has purpose and I'm living on purpose. I got a life and I have relationships that matter. They show up for me, I show up for them, I sharpen them, they sharpen me, and I'm experiencing Christ in a fresh way, not an old way. That's the kind of life that's promised to us, a life possible through Christ, and a life of leading other people into, because everybody needs a spiritual introduction or spiritual direction or spiritual purpose. And this is what we carry into our relationships. Availability is capability in the hands of God, and your yes is a gateway to purpose. In Jesus' first sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He kind of goes through what's also known as the Beatitudes, and these are basically, um, I don't know if you could call them in characteristics or how you'd call them, but he's kind of fleshing out what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, blessed is this, blessed is that. It's, it's, a, it's a unique list. It's always been even some confounding to me. But he sets this in a context. Context always matters. This is the context he sets um, uh, all of his believers in, all, right, all of his followers in. He says, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Very interesting that he would go to the, the, the pains of describing when you read through blessed are the poor in heart and poor in spirit and blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. It, it, it's a picture of people you'd want to be around. But then he says, oh, but you know, by the way, you're going to be in a place where people are going to hate you. They're not going to want to be around you. They're going to insult you. And, and, and that context is going to make you want to shy away from them and who I've called you to be. And yet this is the context in which you are placed. Context matters. We are closer to first century context in the 21st century. We're closest, as a, as a body of believers, we're closer, closer to a first century historical and cultural context than, we, than any culture has ever been. And I understand that um, no matter who you talk to, there's always good old days, all right? And that just means that you got old enough to forget the bad old days, okay? And you're just hanging on the good old. Everybody has this good old day mentality, but I'm, but I'm telling you that there, we are living in the good day. Because this is the one in which God has strategically placed you and strategically placed me, right? So this is our day, all right? And I can, I can moan back for some other time. When I talk to students preparing for ministry, I said, you don't get to follow anybody else's lead because everybody else's lead doesn't work anymore. I could still pull out a playbook of what I grew up in and people would accept it and receive it. Not so anymore. It's not about doing something better anymore. You might attract more Christians, but you're not going to make more impact with people who need Jesus. All right? 
So it doesn't matter, I can be the best speaker and I could sing and I could dance and we could do all kinds of really, really cool things. We can be as attractional as we could possibly ever be. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't win anybody new to Jesus. But spreading out the reality of who we are and the availability that we have for people, that moves the needle. That's what gets the work of the kingdom done. So then he goes on and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its saltiness. How could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Have you heard the expression, worth their salt? Right? Do you know where it came from? Worth their salt. They're not worth their salt. Roman soldiers, um, in, in some cases, they were paid in salt. It was that valuable. Or at least they had, I think it was the first benefit package. They, they were given a salt allotment. All right, and so this is where you get, they're, they're not, worth their, not worth their salt. Um, salt was such a, a, a valuable tool. We, we grab it for a flavoring element, right? And they grabbed it for a preserving element, right? It preserved, it kept food um, fresh, if you will, outside of having refrigeration, obviously, which wasn't, wasn't there. And so it's interesting, Jesus is saying that even your salt is gonna be in a context that won't be received, in, in a lot of ways, and yet you're a preserving agent for the culture. So could it be the degradation of our culture can be pegged to not enough salt, not enough salt and proximity to the decaying part of our culture? And it's interesting, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, be salt. You be salt. What does he say? You are salt. You are salt. You have me internally in you, you're salt. Then the shift goes and he said, you're the light of the world. He didn't say that be bright, shine. He said, you, you are light. So much so, you can't hide a city on a hill. A city on a hill is what it is, right? It's a city on a hill. I mean, the only way you can avoid seeing a city on the hill is not look at the hill. You can't hide that. You can't hide that city. So when he says he doesn't say, shine your light, you are light. The only way someone should be able to avoid Christ when we are present is to look away. To look away. I contend our real purpose gets locked in these passages for us to be salt and for us to be light. When he talks about the good deeds, he said, let them see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This gets away from the talent piece back to the available piece, okay? Because it, I can give you a gift, but if I'm giving you a gift and I'm pointing to me, I'm, you know, you're all, I'm all you get, okay? And I can only take you as far as me and a talent. But when that deed, let's talk about altruism, when my altruism then points to God the Father, well, he's my provision, God's the one that made this possible, that I could do this. And we give credit and glory to God in that regard. Then I'm drawing the attention away from me, and I'm drawing the attention to Father. And the Father can take everybody home. So I can point you in the right direction. I might even be able to lead you in the right direction. But I can't get you to the Father. Christ gets us to the Father. If there was ever a time to dig deep into our spiritual identity... And our real purpose activity, it's now. Availability is capability in the hands of God. You are of use. You are full of use. And your yes is a gateway to real purpose. So let's talk about context. There are three contexts in which you live that you matter. And that is important that you show up. Okay? That, that, that thanks for being there gets applied. First is your personal sphere of influence. Your personal sphere of influence is part of that context. If you will see your spiritual or your, your, sphere, of inf, uh, your sp sphere of influence, if you will see that as something that is spiritually strategic, that's just a lot of S's. Um, you, will, you, will, you will engage those people in a different way, right? If you see your personal context, as spiritually strategic, 
you will engage them in a different manner. And God only does strategic. He doesn't do random. Okay? So your sphere of influence is not random. I said it this way. When, who you are around matters. You matter to those whom you are around. When, when we walk, when life is hard and when life is busy or when I just have other objectives, my head is down. Right? Dark room, head is down, hands are out, trying to find my way through. But when the light's on, I know, uh, I know what's, you know, then I, my head's up. And life is hard, man. We just had, I don't know, probably 30, 40% of you and the same metric in the first service when I said, you're in a hard season. And so when you're in a hard season, your head's down. But if, but if your purpose can lift your chin up a little bit and see where you are strategically, that God has a use for you in those people's lives around you. But when you can gain a sense of purpose again, don't we want that? I live differently when I have a sense of purpose than when I don't. The stuff else that's going around me when I'm living in my purpose, it matters a lot less. Because I'm being fulfilled in what I'm doing. That, that, that's the life we are, we're longing for, to be fulfilled in what we're doing. And who you're doing life around is strategically important for your presence to be. Who else is in that sphere? That's a very specific sphere. The second context is your church. Who you worship with matters. And you matter to those with whom you worship. I wonder if any of you got up today and said, I want to go to church today because someone there needs me. That is a sobering question. Because being transparent, all of us will say at some point of something either I need or I want, which that's why I come to church. <laughs> I, I need to be here. I want to be here. I want to be around you. I want to be ministered to. I want to, I want, but I'm just asking you to be honest with that question. How many times do you say, I, I got to get there because somebody needs me? And we don't say it all that often. But this is a context in which we're placed for ministry. I love watching the progression of someone new in Gateway that hangs. I, 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 it, the conversations begin something like this. Pastor, I love your church. That, 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 that's a great place. Those are, those are great people. And then if they hang around long enough. I, hear, I start hearing this transition. I start hearing, man, I love our church. This is a great place. This is my place, right? We start seeing that. And then ultimately, though, we, I, love to, I want to get to the place where the purpose of the house becomes all of our purpose, right? So, so we, we lend our faith, we borrow our faith, but there is something powerful when we link our faith. When, we, when it's not just a place to go to or a place, uh, a, a place to go to or a people to engage with, but it's a purpose to embrace for myself. Wow, that, then we're talking, this is, where, this is where the local church is supposed to get the traction in the community in which it's placed. Because strategically, God places churches and gifts churches for specific ministry, right? But when we, when we, can, when we can rally around that, it's not that what we need or want isn't important. It is what we need and want gets taken care of in the body, especially when the body is unified going forward in one direction. That's where the power of the local church comes in. All right, the third context. So I said, seeing Gateway as your spiritual family and as a ministry partnership is a key to your availability to your church. Your church, our church, Gateway Church, needs you. We need you. We, we cannot fulfill the purposes of God or all of the ministry that's needed in the body without the body. You cannot hire enough people to take care of those needs. And I know we live in an area where we hire people to do everything. But it's an interesting thing that passage talked about when you hire links. 
A hireling that was a shepherd was only legally bound if one predator showed up. If a second predator showed up, the hireling was released and could leave without penalty. But if they were your sheep, you ain't going anywhere. You don't want to, you don't want to hire hirelings. You want to engage in ministry with shepherds. That's what you want. I can tell you around here, I don't care if they push a button, push a piece of paper, or preach. I look for shepherds. And we got shepherds. But what happens when we got 600 shepherds? Wow. Now we're talking some significant, significant movement in the culture when that happens. Because where you do life matters. The context in which you do life. Your neighborhood matters. Your workplace matters. All your other contexts, and we take it out of a, a small circle, to our church, to your context, all those are, those are all significant. And God does those things strategically. Um, this is how we landed in Franklin, Tennessee to plant Gateway Church. I'd never been to Franklin, Tennessee. I drove through Nashville one time, I think, on, on the way to play a fast-pitch softball tournament. I had no idea. I had, I had no idea what hot chicken was. Um, you know, but, but, but God was very specific and said Franklin, Tennessee. And then when we were, when we were portable, young, I mean, we weren't even, we weren't even 18 months old when we bought this piece of property. I mean, it was stupid. I, I still, our banker's still our friend because I don't want to get rid of him because I can't believe he loaned us the money. And, um, but in that search, God was very specific. I heard him say, that we should be north of 840 and south of downtown Franklin. That was, that was that specific. North of 840, south of downtown Franklin. And if you were around 16 years ago, there was nothing north of 840 and south of downtown Franklin. I mean, nothing. You had 96 and you had 840. And this might as well have been a two-lane gravel road exit off of the interstate. Nobody knew it, but it existed. And now look at it. One of our denominational leaders, I was on a call with him uh, just a couple days ago, speaking to about 30 church planners. And he was, talking about, he was talking about us, Gateway. And he said, you couldn't afford to do what they did now. You, you, could, you couldn't put together enough money with enough people to, do, to start this over now, 16 years later here. You couldn't do it. God, God is very strategic. And listen, when we were going through, when we were churning through COVID, when... Really, so much thought should have been around how do we survive COVID, right? Because we opened this place. When we opened the kids' place, two Sundays later, I stood up here for three months and preached to empty chairs. I mean, we had this big grand opening. This place was standing room only, man. We, we didn't even have chairs everywhere. We didn't even have our chairs yet. People were coming in, they were sitting on the floor, and then boom, we done. We shut down. And in all that, that should have been churning on how do we survive? How do we survive? How do we survive? God drops this bombshell on me that we call Mission 21. It's going to be, re, we're rebranding it and there's reorganization going on because I realize it's not 2021 anymore. But that's, that, that was a joke. Thank you. But what, what, what was going on in our country at that time, it's like all the political ideologies were starting to explode. They, they were exploding, right? And, and it, was, it was driving people like this. And it, and it also impacted the church. And it impacted their ministry. And this is an observation from a founding pastor of Christ Redeemer Church um, in Manhattan named Tim Keller. Keller said that what he was seeing, he was asked to identify the biggest danger in the local church moving forward. He said the politicization, politicalization of ministry in the local church. And when he unpacked that, what he said was, Left, politically left-leaning churches talked and acted a lot around social and racial justice, but right-leaning political churches did not. Stiff darn them. Right-leaning churches would spend a great deal of time around sanctity of life and the biblical sexuality, but then gave a stiff arm to racial and social justice. Racial and social justice would give a stiff arm to biblical sexuality, and sanctity of life. 
And he said, what, we, we should be the leading voice in all four. The church should be the leading voice in all four. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to be squeezed into some political ideology. And once that happens, you and I might be fine with it, but those who, who don't know Christ, they are not fine with it at all. It's just, it just marginalizes the church. It's just, oh, they're just another, it's just another ideology of all these other ideologies that I can choose or walk away from because all it is about people trying to get their own. And guys, we belong to a kingdom culture. Kingdom culture sits above all ideologies. We can be squeezed into an ideology or we can live a kingdom culture and define, define our culture. This is, this is the strategic place the church fits in our culture right now. Will we be co-opted, co-opted by a political ideology? Will we be squeezed into those molds and that rhetoric and that content? Or will we represent the kingdom? I say it this way. God doesn't take sides. God is a side. And there is, there is truth all along the political spectrum, if you will drill down to a biblical stance on whatever you're talking about and not let some talking head or some agenda, I hate, I hate being sold anything. I can, I can feel it. I'm sorry if you're a salesman, you're probably really good, but I, I, I'll, pick, I'll pick you out in a heartbeat. I like being helped all day long. You, you like being helped? You want in a place? I can tell when someone's selling me and when someone's trying to help me. You, we don't have to sell Jesus. You don't have to defend Jesus. You don't have to sell Jesus. You just got to live Jesus. Jesus will sell himself all day long if we will live it and walk it and not be co-opt. And not be co-opt. I am not a political creature. I'm a kingdom guy. So I'm going to live, live kingdom stuff. It doesn't mean I get it right all the time. It doesn't mean I don't have a political opinion. It's just not as important as living in the kingdom and stating kingdom things and not being afraid of a kingdom thing lands on the right side of an aisle or the left side of the aisle. It's just a kingdom thing. And this is where I'm going to land. And if we, will, if we will keep chasing that, then people who don't give Jesus, and a lot of times they don't give Jesus a chance because they don't want to give the church a chance. Okay? They don't give Jesus a chance because they don't want to give you a chance because you've blown the chance. I've blown the chance. But they'll give Jesus a chance if they give us a chance and we represent Christ. They'll give the church a chance if we represent Christ, but not if it represents an ideology. And you had to be so careful because I, I can believe in all these causes that you might be going on in your mind and they might have biblical roots to them all day long right? You know, I stand up here and I'll do my best to speak the truth and the stuff, stuff going on in the culture, politically, socially, and the like. But I'm not going to take those sides because that's not who I live for. I'm not an evangelist for any political party or any, or any um, political figure. I'm not, I'm not an evangelist for them. They might be best. I might vote for them. I want them there, but I'm not an evangelist for them. I'm, I'm an evangelist for one person. And so are you. And if you find yourself in this season talking more about an ideology or a political figure than Jesus, and I know that sounds so preacherish, but circle back and figure out what's the most important thing on your mind. Anyway. Anyway. Come on up, team. I highlighted this. Culture has proven to bring zero life into any of those areas that's being talked about right now on the political spectrum. They are in need of the power of Christ lived out in the availability of his people. Lived out in the availability of his people. So this is why we do buy a tree change of life. Because so much of those dollars that's going to be raised by a tree church of life, we sow into helping kids locally. Um, this money has been spent for everything from um, Begin Anew, which is a ministry that reaches across... Um, into other social and racial uh, settings to help people restart their lives. 
Um, and at the same time, it's why we will help fund a pregnancy center. It's, it's right, as, as the way Keller defined it, these things would be on opposite sides. And yet this is, we're, no, we're gonna, we're gonna try to do them all. Have we done them all great? No. Uh, has there a lot of room to grow in them? Absolutely. Um, but we started it. And so even though we'll write, we'll write some big checks out of buy a tree, I want us to move, I want us to move and start shifting from just the church um, that writes the checks and some people who lead have leadership, they take leadership in these four areas till we start having massive movements of energy towards those. And it's, 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 it happens. I mean, when we did the, the, the um, we bought the semi of food and, and did the, the food handout at Spring Hill High School with uh, the well. I don't know, there's 30 or 40 people there. Javi, you told me, right? There, so, you know, more. So, so, so there is. You just, I just want you to keep your eyes open to the opportunities. I, I want you to keep your eyes open to the opportunities. And I want you to make yourself available. I don't want you to write yourself off. Don't write yourself off. I don't think there's anybody, not, nobody that I've met at our church that I would consider to be stingy, selfish, um, uptight, too busy for to get. I mean, we are, some of us probably, right? You know what I'm saying? But I mean, that's not, that's not what I run into here. But stay open to the availability step into it. I mean, from Biotree, there's still a lot of work to be done with Biotree, right? We, we've got the funding, we've got the trees, we've got the technique. It's just bodies have to fill slots. They have to fill slots to sell trees and to meet people and do that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the whole thing with the kids ministry in terms of foster families and adoptive, just, just need people. Teeing it up. And the only thing that I think ends up knocking us off script is for the enemy making you believe that you don't matter, you bring nothing to the table, you're of no use, and it's simply not true. There, those are lies. You have to start recognizing the tone of the enemy so you can recognize the tone of the Father. Isn't it interesting when he says, the sheep know my voice? That's what he says in John 10. The sheep know my voice. That's our goal as as, uh, as uh, followers of Christ, to be able to recognize the voice of the shepherd. That that tone is a reassuring tone. That tone is a kind tone. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not a harsh tone. It can be a challenging tone, but you know when someone loves you and challenges you and you know when someone's beating you up, right? Don't we all know that? You know when someone's just challenging you, they're coaching you up, and they love you, and you know when all they're trying to do is run you down. It's the run you down voice is what you've got to start identifying and saying, that's a lie. And if you ever hear, I'm of no use, I won't matter to that, there's not enough people, there's too many people, that's not true. The power in our church is when we link, we lend our faith, we borrow faith together, and we link our faith together. Availability is capability in the hands of God. Your yes is a gateway to real purpose. Real quickly, this is, this is a prayer Paul prayed at the end of his book to the Colossian church. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so there are four different ways you can pray. We can pray for open doors. If you pray for God to open a door for you for ministry, have your eyes open because he's opening one. If you pray for open doors, for the message, to speak to someone about Jesus, be prepared because he's gonna put you in the presence of someone that is ready to hear something about Jesus. Because what we're praying into is what his will and purpose is for us. Does that make sense? So, so he, he wants to answer those prayers like that. Pray for relational wisdom. Know your room. Know, know when you can step into something and when you just need to be silent and there. 
Know the room. Have some social intelligence about this and pray for an abundance of grace, an abundance of grace and a measure of salt. I, I sometimes I meet a lot of very zealous Christians that are really, really, they, they got the salt thing down. The grace thing, not so much. And it's interesting that Paul flips him. He inverts him. Full of grace. Full of grace. Full of grace. Here's some salt. Full of grace. Grace is what softens you up for the salt. Salt only stings if it's applied with no grace. You with me? So the song, the, the, the response song is, is just kind of tailor, tailor-made for today. Um, it's not original. I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's tailor-made for the moment. And I, in our response time, you know, um, communion is always available to our right and left to receive the mystical elements of the Eucharist. Altar is always available. You, this sermon might have been like so far off your radar screen, but you came in with a need and you want someone to pray with you. This is the hands up again saying, come pray with me, okay? You come to the altar. But then as we sing the song, what I'm asking you to, um, what I'm asking you to consider is when you're ready to say yes to being available to God, then you stand. Don't just stand. I, I, want, you to, I, want, you to, I want you to really kind of soak in this a second. Because it, if you go ahead and say yes before you know the question, then you, you reduce the amount of time it takes to produce something. If I've got to sit around going, well, should I do this? Should I not do this? I'm wasting time. If I already say, I'm going to say yes to the door you open, God. I'm going to say yes to being available. I'm going to say yes before you tell me where to be available. If I already go ahead and say, I'm going to say yes, then wow, there's a kind of instant connect with the opportunity in my presence. And that's what I want you to sit in. Because if you, if you say you're available, God's going to put you in situations where he wants to use you. That's just how that works. So Father, in this time, Lord, seep deep inside of our hearts and spirits. You've called us as a body. Lord, you've called us as a body to be spiritually influential in the places you've planted us. And Lord, we want to be more and more and more spiritually influential. And I know that's going to be more and more push in to freshness, we got to push more into relationship. we got to push more into some yeses. But Lord, let something start in somebody today. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.